Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and on our program tonight, on the eve of the speech from the throne and the resumption of Parliament, the Deputy Leader of the Conservative Party, Candace Bergen, discusses her concerns and expectations, and MPs will debate priorities. But we'll begin with new COVID-19 modelling unveiled today by federal health officials. They warn that we are at a serious crossroads in this country in the battle against COVID-19. The infections are rising and could rise much faster if individuals don't reduce their contacts. And in Ontario, Premier Doug Ford launched a $70 million flu shot campaign today to help ease the strain on the health care system in the face of what he called a second wave of COVID-19 that will be more challenging and more complicated. Here are Canada's top doctor and the Ontario Premier. But the challenge we face now is to stay the course no matter how weary we may feel. We have done this before, we know what works, and we know we can work together to get this done. Young people were part of the collective solution to crushing the spring wave, and now, with high incidence rate in this age cohort, they are a critical element in the solution we need to ramp up the defences and stop a big resurgence from occurring. We know that a second wave is coming. We know that it will be more complicated than the first wave. We know it will be more challenging on the system. What we don't know is how bad it will be, how hard we will get hit, because that's up to all of us. We all have a part to play. And it starts with everyone getting their flu shot this year. So please, please make sure you get yours. It's never been more important. Well, for more on what this new federal modeling is telling us, let's bring in Colin Furness. He's an infection control epidemiologist at the University of Toronto. Uh, Mr. Furness, thanks for being with me today. Appreciate it. My pleasure. What is your reaction to these projections and warnings from federal health officials that that it's really the actions of Canadians once again that will decide if we can manage COVID-19 or whether we'll have a second wave that is worse than the first? I think it's vital that that public messaging start to uh, really amp up the the risk, the downside risk, uh, if we don't do enough. We did that effectively in March and it worked really well, but a lot of people got the sense that COVID is something that happens somewhere else and that happened in the past and that we're through it. And that's dangerous. It's dangerous because the modeling numbers tell us what could happen. All models are wrong, but they can tell us what might happen and that's really important. Right. And... Uh these models suggest that uh, you know we're in for uh, we're in for some tough times if uh, if Canadians individual Canadians don't begin to take control of of uh, this by their actions right i mean that's that's the the big message here we have our fate in our hands we know how covid behaves we know what it likes to do and we know the things that we need to do and the things that we need to not do in order to keep it under control. There's very little that's mysterious now. Most infections now are happening in younger people, age 20 to 39. Uh, why is that happening? I think there's two reasons. 
The first one we could say is that that is the group that has, I think, been most socially dented or socially impaired over the summer, uh, not being able to date, not being able to, to go to parties. And I think toward the end of the summer, many threw up their hands and said, my summer's almost done. It was mostly ruined. I'm having that hug. I'm throwing that party. So there was just a lot of fatigue, I think, that really came to a head toward the end of the summer. That's number one. Number two is a lot of younger people are involved in service industries. And if we look at who is the canary in the coal mine right now, what is the occupation with the single highest risk? Apart from frontline healthcare workers, it's waiters because they're working in enclosed spaces indoors with people who are not wearing masks. This should have never been allowed, and given that it has been, it's got to be stopped. Because the, there's, a, there's also a party culture among, among many service workers, where you are in the restaurant serving until late, and then you go out and get together, and if there's a lot of camaraderie there, there's a lot of spirit there, but there's also a lot of contact. So you have both of these feeding each other, mm. uh, and, and it's the, the results are really what we're seeing, and it is quite worrisome. So, I, you know, how should policymakers and decision makers respond to this this new modeling and the jump in infections? What, what's the right course of action here? Where do we go? Well, if it were up to me, I would I would come up with really two main rules. The first one is about bubbling and about decreasing the bubble. And I think 10 is already very high. Uh, so decreasing that bubble, because we know that works, that works, uh, it works incredibly well. And the next thing I would say is that no one no one should be indoors with anyone not wearing a mask unless they're in that bubble. If that's all that we did, we would actually have things mostly under control. And if we wanted to have it fully under control, then we would uh, really control what airlines are doing and trying to do in terms of selling tickets, packing people into airplanes, and moving COVID around the country and between countries. So the first two, I think, are absolutely vital. The third one, I would love to add. Right. Do we Are, are we at a point, do you think, a lot, a lot of those... Um, leave the choices to individuals. That, that, that's really where we are. But uh, do we need to talk about whether governments need to go back to those enforced, uh, in some cases with legal penalties, restrictions and lockdowns that we saw uh, in wave one? Are we there? That's a really tricky policy problem. In general, you don't get good public health outcomes at the point of a gun. In general, threatening people and imposing fines and punishments actually don't work. It breeds resentment. It undermines trust. What you really want is you, do, you don't want it to be optional either. You want rules, and you want to enact it with social norms. In other words, if 9 out of 10 people in a store are wearing a mask, the 10th person may grumble, but they're far more likely to wear the mask than to stand out for not wearing it. So we want positive messaging, but we don't want to leave it up to individual discretion because that's polarizing. Half the people start to mock the other half of the people, or half the people start to criticize the other half of the people, depending on, on which side you're on. So I want to see one set of rules, a clear set of rules, mandatory but we enforce it through social conformity and through the fact that Canadians are, by and large, a compliant, smart, community-oriented population. And I think we can leave with that. We, what, what about testing? Have we got that figured out yet? We have not. Uh, across Canada, but particularly in Ontario, I would say our testing strategy has never been right. It's, uh, it follows the wrong model. So it's, it's trying to build capacity and orient itself to solving the wrong problem. Uh, which is to say testing people with symptoms. What we need to do, what we've always needed to do, is what's called uh, sentinel testing or risk-based testing. You don't go where the symptoms are. You don't just set up at a hospital and wait for sick people to find you or even throw open the doors and wait for people who have the means and the, and the luxury of time to come down and, and get a swab. You identify where the risk is and then you go there and test for it. We should be going to restaurants and testing waiters. Mm -hmm. We should be going to all service workers and testing them. We should be going to schools and testing teachers and we should be doing that every single week only have not, 
sorry, I only have a few seconds left here. In Ontario, Doug Ford launched a flu shot campaign today, hoping that will ease some of the strain on the healthcare system in a second wave. How much of a difference could that make? Well, the flu shot is not going to do anything about COVID directly, but if we can take any burden we can off the healthcare system, that would be a great way to start. Everyone should get a flu shot this year. Absolutely. If you've never done it before, we can kneecap the flu. We can take pressure off the healthcare system. It's vitally important. Colin Furness, uh, appreciate your perspective tonight. Thanks for uh, taking time to speak with me. Thank you. Well, the battle against COVID-19 and providing continued economic support for Canadians will be the main focus, we are told, of the speech from the throne to launch a new session of Parliament on Wednesday. It will also speak to the minority Liberal government's vision for rebuilding the economy with a focus on fairness and green industries. Candace Bergen is the deputy leader of Canada's Conservative Party, and she joins me now. Candace Bergen, good to see you again. Thanks for being with me. Hi, Peter. Good to see you. Your party held a caucus meeting today, a mix of in-person and virtual attendance, as I understand it. Uh, Your leader, Mr. O'Toole, spoke virtually because he's in isolation after testing positive for COVID-19. His wife has also tested positive now. Uh, How is he doing? He's doing very well, actually. Uh, he did speak to our caucus today. He's uh, he's in good spirits and um, actually very he- very healthy, considering what he's dealing with. So, we're, uh, we're we're very grateful for that. There is an ongoing debate, I think, between the parties about how many MPs should be in the House when Parliament does reconvene. Uh, concerns about safety as we get a spike in COVID nineteen infections now. Um, what is your position on the number of MPs being in the House and how many there should be, given we've seen numbers now from uh, federal health officials today and their new modeling that suggests that the number one things Canadians need to do is distance again uh, to prevent a big surge uh, this fall. So where's your party on, uh, you know, in-person face-to-face sittings versus virtual? Well, the uh, the whips and the, the House leaders are making some of those decisions and talking about it even as we speak. And I think Conservatives uh, are on the same side as Canadians, where we need to have a balance, where the priority of keeping healthy and being safe and having safe distances, wearing those masks, um, using all of the necessary precautions are adhered to, while at the same time going about the, the business of the country. And certainly Parliament is a very important part of democracy. We fought hard to have Parliament come back. It's been cancelled for the last six months. There is so much going on, so many questions for the government. They need to be asked questions. They need to listen to opposition members. So uh, I I think like most Canadians, we're trying to find that balance. And and I have no doubt that our whips and uh, all of our parties will be able to come together and find that, that healthy and good balance. The other parties seem to be pushing for electronic voting. Your party opposes it. How come? Well, we've been generally opposed to anything that would keep uh, members of parliament from doing their job. I think we have seen the Liberals try to use this pandemic to avoid accountability, to avoid scrutiny. Uh, but for sure, as, as we're moving forward in this, we're, we're reasonable. If uh, members of parliament can't be here and there's a temporary solution so that voting can happen, we're, we are open to looking at that. I think, uh, as I said, the House leader, the new House leader has been talking to the Liberal House leader about that. So uh, we're open to ideas. But listen, make no mistake, if the Liberals are going to try to avoid accountability like they've done in the past, if they're going to try to use this pandemic as an excuse and, and say it's because of health reasons, and really they're trying to avoid uh, answering some difficult questions, Conservatives are going to stand up for democracy and for uh, parliamentary procedure within 
uh, health guidelines that are laid out in provinces and in this country. Let's talk about the, the speech from the throne. Uh, what will Conservatives need to see in that speech uh, on Wednesday uh, to vote for the speech from the throne? Is, is that still a possibility? Is it a possibility that the official opposition would say, you know what, there's enough in here to like, we'll support it? Well, we, for sure we have to hear it before we can make that decision. We have to, to hear the speech and see what's in the speech. You know, I'll tell you what we're going to be listening for. We're going to be listening for uh, that, that single mom right now who is trying to decide if she's going to have to take an extra, extra shift at the local subway because she can't pay her rent. We're going to be listening for that farmer uh, out in Manitoba who is paying uh, carbon tax, who is having struggles because of the, the pandemic. We're going to be listening for uh, fisher, fishermen. We're going to be listening for, uh, for forestry workers. We want to be listening for Canadians who have been left behind by this government, this government who has been picking winners and losers and making decisions that uh, don't benefit all Canadians. So that's what we're going to be listening for. We think that the government, and we've seen the government, make a lot of mistakes. Everything is not okay, Peter. I, I think for uh, the government to just say, listen, it's okay, and we'll just get through this together, uh, we need more substantial answers, and we need uh, solutions that help Canadians right across the country. Right. I mean, I guess, I guess what we want to do is wait. We want to wait and see where we're headed, but we know a little bit about where, where we've been. So is there any spending that the Liberals have poured into the pandemic, billions and billions, as a response on both the health and safety side and on the economic support side that you think was a waste or wrong and that Conservatives would not have done? No, I mean, you're right. $343 billion, that is a massive amount of money. And uh, I think that we would have uh, probably spent it in different areas. We think uh, that supporting Canadians when the pandemic hit was very important. We think that the, the benefits should probably be more flexible and more generous for Canadians who want to be going back to work. We believe that small businesses need to be helped going forward. So we're looking at, at a go, going forward basis uh, when this and as this second wave hits, that people will be first of all helped. People are, are concerned. They have questions. They, 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 they don't know what's going to be happening. And, and the government has to show that, that there is a plan. So that's what we're going to be looking for. All right. Uh, let's finish on this. The, we also expect to hear um, the Liberal government's vision for how the economy should be rebuilt with a focus on a fairer society and a, a greener society. Uh, do you support that approach? Is this the right time to have that conversation? Well, overall, the, the problem is the Liberals have not shown that they really have any track record for dealing with uh, the economy during good times. So during bad times, I, I know as Conservatives and, and I know in many parts of this country, there's not a lot of confidence in their ability to deal with the economy in a responsible way during very difficult times, which, which is what we're facing. Uh, we believe certainly that we should be rewarding Canadian innovators, rewarding and encouraging green technology in Canada. We need to be rewarding Canadians' uh, clean, uh, responsible behaviour. But at the same time, we have a, a Liberal government and a Prime Minister who has disrespected and wants to phase out uh, many of our sectors in the West, whether it's our oil and gas sector, whether it's our natural resources, whether it's our agricultural sector. And so that's what we're going to be fighting to support. And we believe that you can do both, that you can support a green economy, you can support getting our responsible natural resources to other parts of the world to displace dirty uh, and, uh, energy sources while at the same time supporting Canadian natural resources and agriculture and important sectors like forestry and fishing.
Okay, Candace Bergen, Deputy Leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. Always good to talk to you. Thanks for your time today. Thanks very much. And the Prime Minister will address Canadians in a televised address tomorrow evening after the speech from the throne delivered by the Governor-General. He'll speak at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time about the urgency of fighting COVID-19 as the number of cases in Canada spikes. Opposition parties are also being offered time to respond as well. Well, let's bring in three members of Parliament now to discuss the return of Parliament and the speech from the throne. Adam Vancouverden is the Liberal MP for the riding of Milton and Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Diversity and Inclusion and Youth. You see him there in the middle of your screen. Alex Ruff is the Conservative MP for the riding of Bruce Gray Owen Sound. He's the Deputy Whip for the Official Opposition. And Matthew Green is the NDP MP for Hamilton Centre and the party's critic for National Revenue, Treasury Board and Public Services and Procurement. Uh, thank you all, first of all, for taking time to speak with me ahead of this important event, the speech from the throne. And let me start with you, Adam Vancouver. And there are a lot of concerned Canadians watching uh, the COVID-19 cases spike and worried about their health and livelihoods uh, with new federal modeling out today that warns things could get a lot worse if contacts between people aren't reduced. How should we expect the speech from the throne and your government to deal with those anxieties? Well, the number one concern of Canadians is definitely still the COVID-19 crisis. There's no question um, this uh, this thing is not gone yet, and we, uh, you know, there may be a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, but that doesn't mean we need to we can take our foot off the gas pedal just yet. We need to be focused on all of the important things that we've been focused on for the last six or seven months: supporting Canadians, supporting their health, and supporting the economy throughout this uh, this pandemic. Uh, we need to see an increase in testing, and gratefully, the provinces have uh, have you know stepped up and started increasing that testing. We need to be pursuing a vaccine to make sure that, uh, you know, as soon as possible, Canada has access. And I'm, I'm grateful for the hard work of my friend and colleague, uh, Minister Anita Anand, for uh, procuring as much of it as possible. Uh, so testing capacity, supporting Canadians through this uh, this crisis is, is the number one issue that I think will, will be on the top of minds of Canadians. And I'm absolutely certain it will be part of, uh, of the throne speech tomorrow. Okay. Uh, Alex Ruff, what have your constituents told you they want to hear in the speech from the throne? Well, locally, obviously, uh, agriculture and rural broadband are, are of vital importance to rural Canadians. It's something I was hopefully looking to see in the last speech to the throne, and we I was a little bit disappointed. So I'm hoping it'll be there tomorrow. I know I saw a, a press release, I think, or an interview that uh, Minister Baines did uh, earlier in the last 24 hours indicating uh, rural broadband should be in there. So I'm looking forward to that. Obviously, another big concern for our party is, is unity across this country. We want to be a unified country, so I'm hoping to see uh, the government come out with something that will address uh, making making sure this country stays united and not continue to be divided. And do you have confidence in the way the government's handled the pandemic so far that, uh, that Canadians should have confidence that uh, the government will continue to, to handle it properly in the weeks and months ahead? Well, we'll see if they allow Parliament to get back and allow us get to back get back to work in a in a full sense. Uh, obviously, there was a lot of uh, good work done by the government right initially. Uh, nobody questions that we're dealing with a pandemic and uh, we needed to get things out the door quickly. However, six months later, there's loads of room for improvement, and I'm hoping to see that collaboration and co cooperation amongst the parties. Uh, all parties with the government to, to make sure we're putting the best legislation forward to help all Canadians. All right, Matthew Green, what are your expectations uh, for the speech from the throne? Lots of people watching to see if it'll be uh, something new Democrats can support. So what do you want to see? 
Well, I would agree that there's a divide in this country, but I would suggest that it's not east and west. It's between the working class, the low income, and the ultra-rich. In a few days, the Canadian, uh, the CERB fund is about to come to an end, and people don't know how they're going to pay their bills. We have significant challenges with things like childcare. We have challenges with housing, significant challenges, obviously, in our economy and in our pharmacare. So we are also looking for made in Canada supports that would provide vaccines and PPEs that are built right here and produced right here in Canada to ensure that as we face the second wave that we are adequately taking care of, taking care of in our social supports and our healthcare supports. All right, uh, we had a little bit of a video break up with you, uh, Matthew, but we can hear you, so we'll, we'll, we'll push ahead and hope things hold up. Uh, Mr. Vancouver, and we also expect the speech will focus on rebuilding the economy to, more, to be more equitable and greener measures to deal with systemic racism and Indigenous participation in the workforce. That'll be, we are told, outlined in the speech and other social and economic measures. What's the argument for looking at uh, engineering a social and economic change during a pandemic? Well, uh, what this pandemic has done is it has definitely underscored a lot of the inequities that exist in Canada. Um, this summer has also uh, been a time to reflect on, on the systemic racism that exists in Canada. And these are things that we must address. We can't lose sight of all of the important uh, issues that affect Canadians um, that are highlighted by the, the pandemic. But many of them, like the environment and climate change, as you've highlighted, um, are, are even more important. We actually have an opportunity now to build back better. We have an opportunity to focus on some of the, the, the things that this pandemic has exposed, like the problems in our long-term care facilities and what we need to do to support our seniors better. I agree with both of my friends, Alex and Matthew, who I, uh, I'm glad to be on the, on the, the panel with both of them. We, uh, we chat often, um, but we've, we've got to look at senior supports. We, we know that this pandemic has affected women uh, disproportionately uh, through uh, their role as, as primary caregivers and, and uh, child supporters. Um, I was very, very glad to see. Uh, I'm not a father, I don't have kids, but uh, there's a lot of families in my riding and that $2 billion that we're able to inject into the, uh, the provincial system so that they didn't have to cut any corners, so that there was absolutely enough money to make those last minute decisions. COVID-19 has been a moving target since the very, very beginning. I think, uh, you know, I agree with Alex, our government has reacted quickly and swiftly and well. Um, it's exposed problems in Canada's systems and problems that, uh, okay, that need addressing. The first and most uh, pressing is always going to be climate change. All right, uh, Mr. Ruff, is there anything wrong with a speech from the throne that uh, during a pandemic that looks ahead to rebuilding the country with a greener economy and a more equitable social, uh, social systems in place? Anything wrong with that approach? Well, it needs to mean uh, stay focused on the most immediate crisis. And, and this isn't the time to be re-engineering uh, the whole country, uh, in my viewpoint. We need to stay focused on actually dealing with the crisis at hand and deal with that first and foremost. Uh, there was, again, a new, new poll that just came out. Canadians are worried about the, uh, the level of debt. Uh, that's been put forward here. Nobody's questioning that money had to be spent uh, in order to deal with this crisis, but we need to be doing it in a responsible manner. I am a father. I have a seven-year-old daughter. Uh, I do not want her paying for mistakes that we're making now. We need to be, as I said earlier, working collaboratively to make sure we're coming up with the best programs possible that's uh, responsibly, economically responsible for our future. And we need to work together right across this country uh, and not just sort of stay focused on, on certain aspects of the uh, 
the country or certain sectors. We need to be uh, leave the provinces that don't get involved in their jurisdictions, but make sure we're leveraging uh, the wealth of this nation that has allowed us to have the great social programs we, we have, and that is our natural resources, and that is our agriculture sector, which are so key uh, to the fundamental wealth of this great right, nation that we live in. Mr. Green, what's, what's your view? Do you, do, do you think the speech from the throne should have, as we expected, will? a focus about what comes next, what kind of Canada people want once we get through the pandemic, or is it too early for that? No, I think it's absolutely what needs to happen is we need to share with Canadians our vision for the future, more caring, compassionate Canada. But we need to go beyond just words, because if there's one thing the Liberal government is good at, it's saying the right thing. What we need to keep a close eye on is whether or not these values are actually identified in the budget. Will they commit to the programs. We've heard them say in the past they were going to deliver childcare. We're still waiting. We've heard them say in the past that we were going to deliver pharmacare. We're still waiting. They know that they have in the New Democratic Party willing partners to increase social safety nets for Canadians in this most historic time. And we hope that we can get back to work for Canadians in that way. Given what we've heard, uh, Mr. Vancouver, and we'll finish on this, and it's about the sitting of Parliament, I understand there's still some conversations about exactly uh, how many MPs should be there in person, how many MPs should uh, be part of the session uh, virtually uh, each day. And uh, it sounds like parliamentarians are going to push ahead with electronic voting from everything I'm hearing. Uh, when you hear numbers like this today, does that bolster that case when the federal health officials say, look, unless we get back to some serious distancing measures, uh, this second wave is going to be bad? Well, I've only been in Parliament for under a year, but what I know is that that room is very packed and the lobby is packed. We share only a few bathrooms and it's not a safe place to go back to work right now. Um, it's 2020 and the technology exists for us to debate and ask questions. Um, all, all members of Parliament were, were able to ask questions of the government and to, to pose their ideas and debate throughout the summer. It was a little bit different, but what else wasn't? Uh, people were working from home all over the country from coast to coast to coast. Uh, kids, many kids are still not back in, in class in a conventional manner. So we need to be agile as well, and we need to adapt and innovate as well. And I think that uh, PROC and everybody in the government has done a very good job making sure that we can continue to do our job as parliamentarians, and we will have the opportunity to vote. We just need to be a little bit flexible as how that uh, how that comes about, because, look, we've got the leader of okay. two parties who are currently infected by COVID-19. At this moment, I'd like to reach out to both of them uh, and say uh, that I wish them a quick and speedy recovery. Mr. Roth, the numbers are going to be whatever the numbers are going to be when, when uh, parties come to some sort of uh, agreement or, or Parliament does. But uh, the Conservatives and your deputy leader told me earlier in our program, uh, you're still opposed to the electronic voting uh, idea. I mean, I, there was a test run, as I understand it, I think it was yesterday, that uh, took over an hour uh, to, to run a test vote. Um, so, but given what we hear about the numbers, it isn't, doesn't that have to be part of the mix, some way to find that members remotely can find a way to vote? Well, I'm sure we're going to come up with a suitable manner. Uh, yesterday, it had a couple hiccups, but in the end, uh, you know, we made it work. And I'm sure uh, I was just on a call not even an hour ago, uh, again, with the House staff, uh, figuring out a way to fix the little tricks from yesterday that uh, weren't working properly to ensure that all our members have the uh, the ability to vote. But I mean, that doesn't You think change. you can get there? You think it can happen? Uh, well, I, absolutely. I think we're going to be able to get there. But I mean, that doesn't change the, the fact of the matter. Real Parliament hasn't been sitting since March. We need to bring back everything. And at the same time, as uh, 
Ontario has demonstrated in their house at uh, Queen's Park, we can get to vote in person, but in the end, we, we will get a way to, to vote everybody and, and still respect all the safety protocols. As the speaker has identified and the house staff, we can put 86 people respecting all the health protocols of the province uh, and the two-meter spacing right. into the house uh, the way we are now. And even the Senate's going to bring in, and they're going to leverage their gallery to put over 85 people into their smaller area to conduct their voting. So I think there's lots of ways that we can come up with creative ways to do this. Mr. Green, a final comment from you on all of this. Well, I just think that we're at this critical juncture right now. We need to find a way to ensure that in this second wave, we have a critical path forward. We know that there's been significant failures in our social safety nets, EI, uh, you know, housing. All these critical issues need to be answered in these next few weeks to give Canadians the confidence that their federal government is stepping under the, up to the plate in this crisis. All right. It's going to be a different time uh, as the last number of months have been. But thank you all uh, for your uh, participation in this conversation tonight. We'll see you soon. Take care. Thank you, Peter. Thank nice you. Well, that's all for this edition of Primetime Politics on CPAC. Our live coverage of the speech from the throne begins Wednesday right here at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. See you then. Thanks for watching.